Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the final episode of the Halloween retrospective. We started in 2018. We're in 2019 now. We're here. We talked about 11 Halloween movies, including the one we're about to talk about today in total. It's been a trip. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today, as always in this retrospective, is Matt Garingo. Yes. Matt, you convinced me to do this way back in the early fall of 2018. Do you regret this decision? Entirely. Okay. In Just make it sure. Incompleteness. I've never regretted anything more in my life. <laughs> I, I feel like that's not true. Yeah, you know what? There's about like three things I do regret more, but this is up there. <laughs> I regret the Alien Predator retrospective. Although without it, we wouldn't have the other retrospectives. That's a, le that's a significantly lesser evil, but that's because I like all of those movies, even the bad ones. I know so. you do. I, I just I grow to hate you more and more every day. Uh, I guess just a quick note that the next retrospective, I don't think we're ever going to run out of things to talk about because uh, the following one will be about wildly different films, sometimes within the same rebooted franchise, because there's, there's a lot to talk about with Batman. We announced it back earlier. He will be swinging wildly in tone, theme, just structure, basic ideas about filmmaking. From film to film. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes from the same filmmaker, which is also kind of fun. Uh, so look look forward to that. Uh, we'll, I'll probably do like a, a giveaway or something for that, like I'm doing for this one. So when you listen to this episode on SoundCloud or YouTube or iTunes, make sure to check over on the Waffle Press and my Twitter feed because you got to RT the episode, retweet the episode, share it. Uh, and I'll give away a digital code a week after the episode has gone up. So make sure to go do that for uh, a digital code for Halloween 2018, directed by David Gordon Green. The movie we're here to talk about today and the final Halloween movie for now. We'll, we'll go back to it when they announce the sequel because that's totally going to happen because this movie was a huge hit, critically and commercially. And it's one of the, the good times where I think Matt and I generally agree on a movie too. Yes. I just think we both like it. Yeah, we, we both do like it. I, I think you might actually like it a little more than I do. Yeah, probably. It's easily the second best in the franchise. <laughs> because we don't you don't count Halloween 3, or is that including Halloween You know 3? what, I don't know. This is probably better crafted than Halloween 3. This okay. is just a really slick slasher film. It's what happens when you give it to like an actual director. Yeah, no, the, the, the filmmaking is really strong in this one. Uh, it, it kind of it kind of won me over to some of the lesser sequels, even with like Halloween Four and stuff like that, or H two O movies. I'm still not crazy about, but I at least admire more after talking about them. Uh, but this is just this is a, a solid film from beginning to end. Uh, I, I I would like to address some complaints as we go throughout the film too. Uh, a common criticism, some I can agree with. Others, I think, are very short-sighted. I want to address all those complaints right now with one thing. Okay. People are fucking stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, alright. Like, I just, I saw this in theaters like three times. And one of those times that I walked out, there was a person in front of me who was like, 
man, I just want a horror movie where people make all the right decisions. And I just wanted to fucking just beat him to death on something like Michael Myers does to like three people in this. <laughs> like how, how is that how you think? How? Uh, we're, we're living in that, that era where cinema sense is kind of like tainted how a lot of people view movies yeah, as like poison well you know yeah. <laughs> i i think people are like generally people are growing away from it like you're seeing a lot less like defense of cinema you've seen a lot of pushback and yeah a lot less defense in fact i know people who would have defended cinema sense to my face who now oh. uh don't do that uh and oh, now good. openly join in ripping them but will not acknowledge that at one point they like cinema sense I can let that slide because who wants to acknowledge that? Hey, I'm know? willing to acknowledge I like the nostalgia critic at one point, and that is, that is a mountain of shame. That I just, <laughs> but, uh, I, I that's how that's how I was like starting to get into that YouTube film criticism stuff too. I was like, this is fun. At the end of the day, the nostalgia critic did lead me to better personalities. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I can be like, yeah, that stuff I regret, but I gained a lot from it. Whereas CinemaSins, I don't think I ever got anything out of. And I never, but I never enjoyed them. There's a current controversy going down, right? Yeah, there's a controversy uh, that half of Cinema, the people behind CinemaSins knew that they were causing it. Uh, they were trying to like shy away from it. Like, no, we weren't trying to steal someone else's podcast idea. And the other half genuinely did not know that they were stealing someone else's podcast idea because of the person they're working with. But then someone had like receipts of the person tweeting out like how f big a fan they were of this other podcast called Eighties All Over, mm -hmm. uh, which which I, I don't listen to, not for any reason. I just haven't. What's the, what is <laughs> um, the basic conceit that they're – what are they stealing exactly? Eighties uh, All Over goes week by week, movie by movie throughout the – every year in the 1980s. I think they're up to like 84 right now because I think they covered Ghostbusters. Didn't Ghostbusters and Gremlins come out in the same weekend? Yep. Wow. Yeah. What a weekend. The, the podcast CinemaSins wanted to start was like one about 1989. And we're going to go through week by week talking about every movie. Like it's broad enough where like if you went to court, uh, you could probably wiggle out of it. But everyone would know that you're basically stealing the other person's idea. <laughs> you know, know, they could have gotten away with it if they acknowledged 80s all over <laughs> in the opening. Like... Like, hey, this is, we get that this is kind of similar to this, but come for our, you know, take on it. And we're doing something, we've got a slight twist on it. Yeah, they don't have anything worth saying ever. So, like, imagine listening to a podcast by people who run CinemaSins. Yeah, what could they possibly say? What could they possibly add to the conversation? Here's what you do. This is not about Halloween, but here's what you do with CinemaSins. You look up every video taking down the thesis of CinemaSins. Which is that they basically have none. Mm -hmm. And look at everything else those people have done that are taking them down a peg. And you'll 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 have better material in your lives. You'll have better better video outputs and like subscriptions and you'll be generally a happier person. I just found a, a gift card I received in 2016. Is it still eligible? I I hope. It's for the movie tavern. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's like a place where you can go and you can eat food while you watch the movie. Oh, that sounds nice. It's nice, but the food's too fancy. <laughs> oh. Like, you, I, if I'm going to the fucking movies, I, like, I want 
shit food. <laughs> I'm not there to, like, dine out. And I just wanted to bring it up because the gift card I have has the film Allegiant on it. Remember that? I do remember that movie. The Divergent series, Allegiant, in theaters March 18th, 2016. <laughs> you know they canceled that franchise, like, mid-finale. Yeah, I heard about that. That's great. That's, I love that's it. Fantastic. Hey, fuck all those kids. I only got one uh, series of unfortunate events film as a child, so. Yeah, that was good. No, it wasn't. I liked it. It's not good. Oh, well. I really missed the tone of the that series. <laughs> Alright, well, Halloween 2018 is... Harry should play Michael Myers. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, he shouldn't. <laughs> I don't know. I think he should play some villain in a superhero franchise. I, he played a... He was in Kick-Ass 2, wasn't he? I know he was. And then he just, like, turned on the film. Yeah. And not because it sucked, but because it was like... He thought it was pro-gun or something. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Carrey's a weird guy. Yeah. People forget that he's like an anti-vaxxer. Is he still anti-vaxxer or was it just when he was with Jenny McCarthy? Oh, I don't know. But I, I, I don't know a statement of his that came out like negating that yeah, i'd want to distance myself from that yeah i'd want to be like hey <laughs> but whatever we're yeah. all gonna die might as well be from a preventable disease <laughs> everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year yeah i mean your grandmother is Lori strode she was almost murdered wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Uh, yeah, this is, I like this movie a lot. Uh, Matt, when this movie came out, you were constantly tweeting praise about it, and I agree, rightfully so. But you you um you were also noting that uh, there's a lot of layers to the film and that you you were taking more away uh, with multiple viewings. And I'm very interested in what what you took away from this film. Like what is what would be the main theme of Halloween 2018? Something that most of these other movies do not contain a theme. The fuck should I know? I don't know. I feel like you did <laughs> research on this or something. I don't know. Um. <laughs> I don't know, the one the one I took away immediately was, it's, you know, kind of the obvious one, which is how we, in tragedy, and in this franchise, it's kind of like commenting on both, that we tend to focus on the perpetrator more than the victims. That seemed to be a big thing that this film was going on about. Because this, film's, this movie's filled with a lot of questions, and most of them are the wrong questions, and the movie knows that. Which I found interesting. Um, the, you know, there's the oft-repeated line in the film, someone will, is obsessed with trying to figure out what Michael Myers said. And what, get him to say anything, or get him to react to anything. And that's just the wrong question to ask. And we all pay for asking that wrong question. There's kind of like a, that, that meta thing that's kind of like a through line in The Force Awakens too, where it's like, it's commenting on the, the, the previous entries in the franchise, while also letting the characters react to the in-world realities of their franchise and their stories. Yeah, franchises uh, are getting aware in a way that isn't, like, just poking holes in its own logic, you know? Yeah. Not in, like, a Joss Whedon way. 
like that's just obnoxious and makes you want to kill yourself over the two and a half hour runtime of Age of Ultron. <laughs> but uh, I can't imagine ever sitting through that movie again. Um, <laughs> I've I've been in a big mood to watch it again. It's been a while. I can't imagine how anyone could want to watch that. Oh, it's so good. It's such a fucking waste. Just there's nothing, <laughs> the, the nothingness to be gained by it. Maybe realize that all the greatness of the first Avengers film is entirely accidental. <laughs> then what about Serenity? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck. That's like his only thing that he's done that I like. <laughs> it's like because I hate the Firefly TV show. Holy shit. Yeah. Like that's an odd opinion. I've never really copped to it. <laughs> like, I knew I'd get like beat up by nerds. But uh, I tried. I, it's Firefly is such a boring show. <laughs> And I think when you force Whedon to, like, narrow his focus, he makes a better film. As much as I love Age of Ultron, I actually agree with that sentiment. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Can you imagine if he had written a Halloween film? I was just about to say, like, what would that even look like? I we, I know exactly what it would look like. It would just be people, like, saying all the same shit from the original film just in different ways. Or, like, playing into the tropes, like, specifically. It would just outline its agenda entirely, just constantly. I feel like you'd end up with something like Scream. It would be, but like a less good version of it. So like Scream 2. A movie um, I like. I like but, Scream 2. Yeah, but not not nearly as good as, as 1 or even say, 4. I would say more like Scream 3. Aww. Which is not good. No. I, I kind of like it, but no. I I. I'm a little okay with the setup of Scream 3, but I don't think it succeeds in anything it's going for. Sorry, Wes Craven. I still love you and I miss you. Yeah, I miss Wes Craven. I just rewatched The People Under the Stairs. That's a fun movie. Oh, a blind spot for me. Again, it's, it doesn't totally work, but like the the fact that he was like going for it is like a lot of fun. Uh, I think Halloween 2018 is... Uh... I, I know there's a. It's going to be weird addressing criticisms as like as we go on, but I kind of feel like it's necessary because I think this movie does get like the short end of the stick in terms of like being more than just a slasher movie. Like it's got a slasher movie with a purpose, and not not in that way, you know, where people are like, well, you know, it's just a good horror movie, and not like in a dismissive way. Like it's got something on its mind, and I think generally it succeeds with like telling the story of Laurie Strode and like how these these events like impacted three generations of her family. And I don't think the movie gives like concrete answers to everything. And I think that fucks people up. Uh, I think that like everyone kind of like, you know, because the movie portrays Laurie as kind of ruining her life, preparing for Michael Myers, but then at the end she's triumphant. But is she really? And I don't think people know how to deal with that, you know? Yeah. Like that's like, it's not a clean cut film. It doesn't fall, it, it's not, you know, it doesn't just, like, hand you answers about life. <laughs> it just, it, and, and that messes people up sometimes. I mean, there's, like, only one complaint, like, I can see if you can't get over that hurdle, then, like, fine. But I would ask you kindly to just get over it and try and see what the film's doing. <laughs> um, that's kind of been my attitude about a lot of movies lately, where, like, a lot of movies, especially mainstream big budget movies they tend to work on some contrivances and you have to decide how much weight you put on the contrivance mm -hmm. 
And this one has a pretty big one, but it's only one, and it kind of answers all the questions of the film. So let's talk about the the killer ass opening. Oh yeah, because again, we both saw it in theaters. You saw it more times than I did, I, I think. Uh, the the crowds were like perfect. I know there were some complaints, which is which is too bad. If you're like talking in a theater and being rowdy during any movie, like just don't go. It's fine. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> um. I did pretty good. I did pretty good with my audiences. If you see it, 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 honestly, you have to see it with a big enough crowd. There's like a middle ground with crowds where if it's like too small, but not like three people small, (laughs) like if it's somewhere around 10 to 15 people, you're going to get talkers, but upwards of like 20, you tend to be all right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that's all about, but uh, I'm I'm not even talking about like the people yelling at the screen that can be fun um it's more just people talking about shit that has nothing to do with the film yeah like having full-on conversations yeah it's just like don't don't do that <laughs> please it seems to happen at every fast and the furious movie i go to oh that's too bad which might explain why i'm not super in the- <laughs> <laughs> but um no i had a good the audience was like there for it even though like that's the thing like you kind of have this great mood and then, because the movie doesn't end with, like, a definitive answer, <laughs> then people immediately start walking out there going, like, man, what was that about? And that's when I get angry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I don't know. Every, th- every audience I saw it with was pretty good. And the opening is just, it sets the mood really well. And there's also a lot of, like, little drops in there that, like, kind of explain questions that, like, nitpickers would have. <laughs> And I really like it that, like, so you can be like, oh, yeah, motherfucker, there's an answer. <laughs> Which it basically comes down to, like, how is Michael Myers able, he's, like, in his 60s. <laughs> how is he able to do all this stuff? And there's a lot of talk in it about how he is, uh, they exercise and have a healthy diet at this place. This facility is specifically meant to, you know, kind of keep him propped up. And there might be reasons for someone propping Michael Myers up in a way. Yeah, more unstoppable killing machine than he was in the original film. Which is a, a another point that comes up later, where they're like, you know, like nowadays we have so many like actual like real life tragedies, like mass shootings, stuff like that. Like he killed like four people in a night or something like that in the first movie. Like it's it's sad that they even reference it as like small potatoes or something like that. They they changed that outcome <laughs> by the end of this film. <laughs> I think I, uh, yeah, but I also think I have an answer to why Michael Myers might be more terrifying than, like, uh, like a terrorist or something. Which is that everyone that dies in this film knows they're being killed. That's horrifying. <laughs> like, everyone has a moment where they realize they're being killed. And I can't think of anything more fucked up than that. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um I guess, you know what, I'm going to talk about the contrivance early. I probably shouldn't have jumped around it. Nah, fuck it. What is that Dr. Sartain is responsible for a lot of the shit going on in this film. And he, at the end, in the final act, he brings Michael Myers to Laurie's house after freeing him and killing a cop. Yeah. But he explains everything, the entire setup of this film. Because, like, really, if you see that and you'd be like, who would move him on Halloween? (laughs) Like, (laughs) why would they do that? How did he escape? Why is he able to do it like on this? Like, why was this series of dominoes just happened to go off at this exact time again? And the answer is Dr. Sartain did all of it. And that answers a lot of questions that they don't need to explicitly say. I don't think they ever say 
he's responsible for Michael escaping on the bus, but it's pretty heavily implied that he is. Yeah, like, if you know how to watch movies, that's, it's clear. It's clear yeah. enough, you know? You don't need to go back to that, because, again, like, having these answers spelled out is not the point of the new Halloween at all. And I honestly was wondering for a bit if uh, it was going to turn out Laurie had freed him. Did you think that the first time you were watching it? I did. I was like, wait, is that where we're going with this? Because I, I was kind of on board with that. That's a good – I honestly think it's deliberately – it's a deliberate fake out to think she might have done it. Because um, we, we see the whole thing of her going up to see him leaving. She's going to possibly try to kill him um, and they can't do it, um, which means he she might – like then, but then we don't see her leave, so it implies that she stayed longer, and then she shows up in a bit of a state later. Uh, it makes you think that that's what could have happened. And at that point, we've already had a couple, um, at least one or two moments that are very explicitly setting her up where Michael used to be, and mm-hmm. she's taking Michael's place from the original film. Oh yeah, like that that perfect um, like parallel shot of her waiting outside the school for her granddaughter, just like <laughs> Michael was for her. There's that. That's like the most obvious one, but the one to me is just her not being on the ground after getting thrown on the roof. That's a really good because everyone who watches it gets what that means. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that comes later, though. And she comes. I mean, she even emerges from the shadows like Michael did in the original film. Um, there's a lot. Yeah, it's that that like that stuff for fans that are is a uh, it it is borderline fan servicey, but it's not like. For no reason. It, at the end of the day, it is to like tell this 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 version of this story and like uh, round out Laurie's character in the film. It's just telling us stuff. There's a couple moments where I could be like, eh, but not not enough to like ever really take me out of the film. No, nah, there's that one line that everyone was like, oh, <laughs> with the Doctor Sartan, where yeah. she's like, oh, so you're the new Loomis, huh? It's like you didn't have to have that in there. Which, yeah. but no one, Everything else I'm fine with. That was a little weird much. because she's wrong. He's like the evil Loomis. Yeah, he's like, he's Loomis gone crazy and not beating Michael over the head with a bit of wood crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but he, He's uh, Michael feeding Daniel Harris yeah. to, to Michael Myers crazy. Yeah, he's Loomis just... But even then, Loomis, like, was trying... His end goal was to stop Michael. No, yeah, yeah. He, he's... In that version, he's uh he's just giving her to michael there's no like yeah further reasoning behind it he just it's, wants to see how he operates he doesn't care about the capture or anything like that Sartain does say early on loomis was the only person to observe michael in the wild and that's what got him to conclude that he was pure evil um which shows you what his motives might be <laughs> yeah um and i i actually i know there's plenty of criticism for that character and how it's just it is kind of a, a just an excuse to pit Michael against Laurie again because that is what the movie needs to be. Mm-hmm. But in universe, like in this story, in this fictional creation, it's still it's 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 a natural part of the world because everyone who's trying to figure out like the the methodology of Michael Myers is either ends up dead or very dead. <laughs> you know, like it, it's it's irrelevant. And everyone who tries to figure that out, or no one who tries to, um, like, just survive. Well, it's the different levels of response to someone like Michael Myers. And, I mean, and I honestly think this movie captures that opening, particularly, where they pull the mask out and are trying to get Michael to say something. And he just doesn't react at all. But 
the other patients start reacting. I think like that moment really captures Michael Myers as being both human and not better than any of the other films ever did. Uh, when the there's like even little bits of like wind mm-hmm. starts like increasing, you see the patient's hair start flowing more wildly and stuff like that. The alarms start going off. It really brought me back to like that elemental feeling of Michael Myers that was absent from every other movie since the first one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it, again. It's not something that's literal or like too metaphorical. It, he's Michael Myers again, existing between that plane of of literal and um, and fantasy. Mm. You know, like he he is, but he isn't. He's he's both. And another in a weird reason way. why I think audiences have a hard time walking away from this movie without complaining about shit that doesn't matter. Because you can't really describe what Michael Myers is because you can't totally comprehend it, you know? Yeah, and the movie makes that point that to finally bring us back to, like, the the character story in this movie that it's not about that. Michael Myers is whatever the movie needs him to be because it's focusing on the characters who survived Michael Myers, and specifically Laurie, and the ones who struggle to survive throughout the night because most of them don't. This one has a, the highest body count in the series, probably. Significantly higher <laughs> than most of the other ones. I think maybe four, because four is that scene where Michael's throwing all those people off the truck. And the entire police station. You're right. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Four might, four might at least equal it. Although, you know what? A lot of people die in those fucking uh, zombie ones. You know what? Kind of, but really, he always maxed out like at 15 or 17. Mm. This one's like at least 30 people. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. It's it's a lot. People get fucked up in like very gruesome ways. Yeah. And it, it holds back where it needs to. Like there's that great shot when Michael's fully unleashed on Haddonfield again and that classic John Carpenter thing kicks up. Uh, and he's they're redoing that Halloween 2 shot of him walking through uh, the neighborhood on Halloween, there's a moment where he picks up a hammer and you know exactly where it's going and you never see the impact. You never see anything. You just see the aftermath immediately. Yeah. And that's, it's almost tasteful in a weird way. Like you, you know enough that you don't need to see it. Well, no, the horror of the moment isn't the violence, you know? Yeah. Like, because if you're just if you're if you're constantly just setting up violent moments, then you're kind of telling the audience to be like, "Get ready, here's what you're supposed to focus on." And instead, you're supposed to focus on the horror of someone just walking into your house and just attacking you. <laughs> like that's what's scary about it. And I mean, I think the one the one that works even better is when the babysitter is killed uh, midway through the movie. Oh yeah, we have a great. We spend, like, a good, like, ten minutes with her. And we get to know her, and she's, like, a really, like, fleshed-out human being and a good person. And then she's begging for her life as she's killed. But we don't actually see her get stabbed. And I think that's important, because then it's just, like, kind of just exploitive, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, then you're back to Halloween 2 territory. And then you're back to Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. With Daniel Harris is that long attack on her which it was just probably the most uncomfortable part of that whole fucking movie yeah i'm 
again, mixed feelings on on that sequence. Yeah, hey. It, it lets these characters live and breathe. There's like a interiority to them that is very uncommon for the slasher film genre. You, you can see these people existing outside of the movie they're taking place in. It sounds like not a lot to ask for, but it's it's less common. But even Alien Covenant couldn't do it. No, I, I would agree with most of that. Most of the characters outside of that movie... Danny McBride should have fucking wrote Alien Covenant. <sighs> I, I need them to do the third one, and I want Danny McBride to write it with Don Logan. And then they but, need to put Ridley Scott in the closet. No, no, and then no, no. Fucking get Denny Villeneuve to do it. That would be the shit, but he's in Dune Land now. So. Yeah, I can't wait for that fucking Dune movie. It's gonna uh, suck. I'm very excited because <laughs> Dune just doesn't really work. But <laughs> and I love Dune, but although I kind of wish he was doing God Emperor of Dune. I haven't read any Dune, so oh I'm, I'm just going in blind. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> it's fucking nutty. Like even Lynch couldn't, even Lynch's couldn't really capture how fucked up those books are. Oh, um, but hey, the best, the thing that makes those books great is that the author <laughs> clearly didn't think they were that crazy. <laughs> That's what makes it better. Uh, anyway, uh, fuck Covenant. bus crashed. Mom, what bus crashed? Michael escaped. Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello? Toby Huss is in this film. Yeah! Uh, uh, as Judy Judy Greer's husband. Yeah, already the strongest man in the world. <laughs> um, that was great to see. I adore this movie for a lot of reasons. I, I, I One of the big ones is that Judy Greer gets something to do finally. Because she's such a good actress. She gets better than fucking Jurassic World. Oh, that was unforgivable. Like, that was that moment, because I still hadn't, I didn't hate Jurassic World by that point, but I'm like, oh, hey, it's Judy Greer. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, good, she'll save this thing. And then she gets, like, she just leaves the movie. <laughs> uh, I, I could go, I could go all the way fucking in on, on why I hate those characters and how they waste her talents in that movie, but I'll be here for another hour, so I won't. Well, Hollywood has just consistently wasted her talent. Yeah. Um, Judy Greer's great. Yeah. And she gets the... We'll get to it, but she, she has a the moment. moment of the film, probably. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I also want to give a shout out to Will Patton, who plays uh, the deputy. Yeah, I love, love Will Patton. It's a great character actor. Great cast. Mm -hmm. um, general, even the kids who are like kind of who are basically unknowns, they were all good too. Yeah, uh, the, the the poor kid that gets fucking pinned to the wall, the the boyfriend of the babysitter. Yeah, he's um he's really good. Uh, I know you're probably never gonna check it out, but Blockers I think was one of the better comedies of the last couple years. People keep telling me it's good, so no, for an American comedy, it's like fucking a godsend. But <laughs> um, and he's he's really good. I, I hope this kid sticks around. I, I like him a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that that whole group of friends too. They. The the dialogue it's it's not as like um, 
I think naturalistic as something like uh, Deborah Hill came up with on the set of the first Halloween, but it still fits the time. It's it's updated appropriately and and not not in a way that feels like this is how millennials talk in a non obnoxious non Jason Reitman way. Yeah. So, and what the fuck happened to Jason Reitman? Uh, <laughs> I don't know because Diablo Cody still wrote Tully, so yeah. I got no idea. Was Tully bad? I never saw Tully. Uh, it's not good. Oh, that's a but shame. But I, th- I think that's Jason Reitman more so than the script. But because Young Adult is like really good. Everyone should yeah, go see Young Adult. That that's his last good movie. After I that, know. there's like a steep drop off. Yeah, there was a huge drop off. And I can kind of look back and be like, yeah, up in the air wasn't as good as I remembered it. But <laughs> like, what the fuck? I think men, women, and children just fuck and put a bad taste in my mouth for all those films. Yeah, Men, Women, and Children is like the Michael Myers of movies. It will kill just like every desire I ever have to watch something again. Yeah. Oh, God, it's the worst. Was yeah. Judy Greer in that? Oh, fuck, I think she was. Yeah, she was the mom. Oh, my God. Was she, was she the one that was married to Adam Sandler, right? Or am I mixing it up now? I think you're mixing up people. She was the mom who was, like, taking pictures of her daughter. And there's, like, a lot of people in that. And yeah, there, was, there was a lot of men, women, and children in that film. So that's Halloween 2018. I'm fucking <laughs> yeah. done with this shit. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, yeah, that, that is bad. This uh, this movie, Halloween 2018, is good, though. Yeah, that's oh, great. Um, and not only that... The, these characters, these uh, new characters, but we have uh, Laurie Strode returns. Jamie Lee Curtis returns again. <laughs> so, because it's not, you know, she's been back a few times up to this point. Yeah. She's uh, back for the last time again. I wonder if she'll keep up the tradition of coming back for one really good one and then doing a really <laughs> shitty follow-up. Oh, God, I really... Here's the thing. We should save this for the ending, but I don't care anymore. Uh... Because this retrospective was, like, breaking me. Uh, <laughs> even though we're talking about a good one now. Yeah. Here's what I think. I, I have hope for the next one because the original plan was, like, some pitch from McBride and, and David Gordon Green to do two back-to-back. But they're like, wait. If everyone hates us, if we fuck up this next one, we're not going to get the sequel anyways. So let's do it one at a time. But they apparently they, they had a killer idea for a second one which I'm very interested in because you can't just do this again. If they do it, I'm cool. Um, but it, it's got to be them, and i got to see what... It's gotta, there's got to be more to it than just Michael coming back. Yeah. Although I'm at the, I think I stated on the last episode, which hasn't even been released yet, I said that I think Halloween works when you bring it back once every 10 years. <laughs> uh, which seems... Because that seems to be when the good ones are made. Because you have Halloween, then Halloween 4... Then Halloween 2.0, then Rob Zombie's Halloween, and now Halloween. No, no, Rob Zombie's first Halloween is not good. Hey, it's good enough. <laughs> no, no. I'll, well, that's I'll make a poll. It's technically nine years away from H2O. <laughs> so it's the odd one out. The odd ones every ten years. Uh, I'm with. I'm on board for most of your idea <laughs> but yeah eventually we'll get to the 50th anniversary and the you know they just they're gonna do something regardless of so it just would be cool if they waited that long that would be very impressive blumhouse someone, has the money someone please just do another nightmare 
with Robert England. Like, just bring him back, please. Like, but who who would even like direct it? Because that's like a very there, there's a balance and tone in that movie that's really hard to like get, especially from the later sequels. Because uh, people expect them to be a little funnier now too, which is a bummer. Lexi Alexander. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah. I yeah. just rewatched Punisher Warzone, so And it's the greatest movie ever made? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, that's that's a good one. She might be a good choice for that, but um I think she wants to do original stuff, which Hollywood still won't let her do cuz Yeah, good fucking It's a fucking shit business. And dicks, yeah. Anyone who comes up with Looney Bin Jim should just be able to make any film they want. <laughs> Dominic West is not in this film. Dominic West, no, no. He, he should be in the next one, but Dude, die the s- do same his way. terrible Italian <laughs> New York voice. <laughs> Call me Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Oh, he's great. He's great. You know what, he's about as good as fucking Viggo Mortensen, and he just got an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> hey, racism, huh, Frank? Bada bing, bada boom. You're breaking my balls. Oh, <laughs> He says that in the movie. <laughs> That's a nominated for Best Picture now. Nominated. It's gonna fucking win. Oh my god. I, I hope the inclusion of Black Panther just fucks it all up. <laughs> That'd be great if, like, it if fucking Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book divide the vote and Black Panther wins. Oh, that would be the shit. Because then all, all the fucking the, the cynical nerds will be like, ah, Marvel movie. Well, like, fucking who cares? Backlash to Black Panther going on right now that we're going to hear about it forever. I know. Like, it's going to be all the people that have, are still making the same fucking complaints about Dark Knight Rises and Batman and Robin and Batman Returns. It's like the same three things you hear from people. <laughs> yeah. It's overrated. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's not as good as everyone said. It's like, what do you what do you mean by that? And then they just can never explain anything. Why didn't Bane do this? <laughs> How did Bruce get back to Gotham? That's going to be fun to talk about. Yeah, he's just fucking Batman. Yeah. <laughs> he has no fucking skills. <laughs> what the fuck? I All right. Sorry. That's my <laughs> least favorite complaint and it's the most popular one from that film. <laughs> It's fucking Batman. And you want to know how he got back to Gotham? Like, like you need, like you need an explanation. <laughs> it's Batman. It might have been fun to see if that was your argument, okay? But it's not like he can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> He's the goddamn Batman. I'm very excited to talk about those. But oh, oh we'll wheel this back. What about uh, what about him fighting? He could fight Michael Myers on a catwalk. You know, super. <laughs> You excommunicated by a gang of psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't say anything. He's just staring. Yeah, he's like, <sighs> and we have to deal with that voice. <laughs> We're talking about the podcasters, I guess. Oh, yeah. Okay, so waving their mic around. <laughs> the villains in in the new Halloween are podcasters. Well, they're they not kick the off. They're not the villains, though. No, they're not, but it's kind of fun to call them that. They're, they're just the misguided people. Yeah. Dr. Sartain the... is very explicitly the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the um, They're the first to go, basically. And again, and... Dr. Sartain being evil explains how he gets the mask back, because he clearly pulled strings to get those podcasters to show up with the mask. At yeah. <laughs> <date>. <laughs> so, 
Um, they're 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 kind of jerks, but I mean, you even feel, I I felt bad for them when they got killed. Oh yeah, no, like they're they're um they're out for a story more so than like more so than like interested in the, in the victims, like you said, and that that is the point of of them establishing that early on in the film. Like it's 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 clear that that's the through line for all this. Everyone who's just interested in Michael gets what? it really fucking bad. I'm going to have to break that down a little more because I don't totally agree with that. Okay. Um, but You're wrong, but okay. I just want to say that, uh, like, as he goes, there's the movie spells itself out pretty quick where he's like, I believe there's a lot to learn from Michael Myers, and Jamie Lee is just like, there's nothing to learn. <laughs> right. And it's it's this movie very explicitly says it's wrong to think of Michael and Laurie as being counterparts or being connected. They're, like they're, they don't have a special relationship. They just happened to happen to each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which again is, I think, another comment directed at the Rob Zombie films, <laughs> where it's because I, I think it's very explicitly saying it's wrong to think of a connection between those two characters. Um. All right, here's the part where I totally fucking I I I got way too, I did way too much thinking about one little moment in the film that probably doesn't matter. No, no, go for it. Um, but uh, there's the cla- there's a classroom scene where uh, Allison, Laurie's granddaughter, looks out the window and sees Laurie, and that she's kind of taking Michael's place in that scene. But also because it's a classroom scene, that's like usually a good excuse for a director to give his tell as to what his film's about, <laughs> based on what a teacher's saying. Um in the original Halloween, uh, the teacher was talking about uh, the nature of fate, um, and that movie seems to fall down on fate being random, um, and that's kind of undone by the sequels to Halloween. But uh, that's what they, this one, uh, they're quoting uh, a guy named Victor Frankel, um, whose work I was un- I am unfamiliar with, so I'm probably going to get a lot. Of what I'm about to say wrong. I only did like a cursory read of his stuff. I decided I didn't need to put in fucking three days worth of effort into this podcast. I'm sorry. That's fine. It also might not have helped that I waited until literally the last minute to rewatch Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he wrote about man's search for meaning, and he was relating that to his experiences with the Holocaust. Um, and he said that the reason some people were able to survive the Holocaust uh, was because they, because of the, the search for meaning is what drives us. And it kind of gets us to maybe look past some of our terrible circumstances. I'm not exactly sure where he falls in the end, because to me, you know, there's you can have a search for meaning in life, but that doesn't necessarily mean there is one you know mm-hmm. and i think it's wrong to like you i i honestly think if you look for something like his example the holocaust i don't think there's a meaning to the holocaust that it has value you know yeah it's a tragedy that it happened and so, and i think there's no meaning to michael's killings and I think that's the point. I think to find, I think this movie is coming down on how you shouldn't have a fixed target, how you shouldn't have a very explicit answer to something. 
that you shouldn't worry about that. You should just, you'll find meaning just being. Because I, if you fixate on something, you're going to miss it and you're going to end up missing other things. And I think this movie comes down pretty hard on Laurie being so fixated with Michael Myers. She's basically destroyed her life being fixated on Michael. And we can argue how much of it is the aftermath of the killings themselves and just like a natural survivor's response. Uh, but she chose to stay in Haddonfield because she believes Michael will come back. She even says later in the film that he's he's waiting for me. And I don't think that's true. And I don't think the movie thinks it's true. And I think that, I think, you know, a lot of people want to see this as a triumphant Laurie Strode, you know, kind of coming back and taking her life back. But I don't think it's that clean cut. I think Laurie in this is the final girl taken to its logical extreme. And to show that if you were someone like her, you would fuck up your life. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's a great point. And I think why so many people, I mean, generally, again, people really liked this movie. There are a lot of fans of Halloween 2018, but a lot of the, the, the criticisms I think stem from the unfortunate circumstance of the marketing. I don't want to spend too long on, on this after your point also, but I think it's important to note that they highlight that moment in the trailer and multiple trailers where Laurie says, he's come back. He's come back for me like a lot. And so I think people presumed that it would be like some greater meaning between Michael and Laurie specifically, even though the movie itself shows that that's not the case. It literally takes a secondary character to drag Michael to Laurie's front door for that confrontation to happen. Yes. Well, because there's a moment in the film where Michael sees Laurie and Laurie shoots at him <laughs> and which I also believe is the only scene in the film that's actually Nick Castle as Michael Myers. Um, is that scene where he's looking out the window at her in the mirror. Mm -hmm. That was his cameo, uh, the original Michael Myers. Uh, and, uh, you know, you could think, oh, now he's going to go hunt Laurie down, but he doesn't. He goes find and finds other victims. Um, and that's when he just happens to stumble across Laurie's granddaughter. And again, there's enough in this film where it's kind of, honestly, this is always like a lame thing to go to because it, it, I, I hear it thrown around with so many films and I, I'm sorry for going here, but it's kind of like life in that you can look for meaning in it, but it might not be there. And it probably isn't. Like it, it says a lot about who you are, how you respond to this film. Like, did he happen to stumble across Laurie's granddaughter because of some innate drive in Michael Myers? Is there something that just attracts him back to this group? Did Is it complete coincidence? Or is it just cynical writing? <laughs> and I don't, I think that's a way not just to look at this movie or any movie, but to look at life in general. Um... That's why I came away take like just a, thinking a lot about that. Just the nature of how we kind of obsess on things and we are what we put meaning in, or that our desire for meaning and how that drive for it can actually end up doing more damage to us than 
you know, just going with the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think I think the movie like is very critical of Lori. It's sympathetic towards Lori, but it's also very critical of her because she did fuck up her own daughter's life, which is said, but it also results in her daughter being able to save herself. But at the same time, it, we wouldn't be in this situation if Lori just got the fuck out of Haddonfield. <laughs> it's uh, it's a great testament to the the writing and the, the the creators behind this film that they understood that sometimes people can do good even in bad situations. They no one is all one thing. These people make mistakes, but they ultimately that that family does care about each other. Lori does care about her family, but she didn't always make the best decisions, and then. On this awful, awful night where Michael comes back, she happens to make some good ones too. You know, yeah. like there's no one is just one thing, and I wish I, I wish these kind of movies had more more layers to their characters like that. Well, it's, there's an interesting line in this too where uh, Laurie has Judy Greer at her house, and she makes a comment she's like, "You always thought this was my prison," and she doesn't finish the sentence, but it's implied that the house is actually a prison for Michael, which it very literally is. Yeah. But again, it's also Laurie's prison. I mean, it's it's keeping her trapped there. In the, she's been trapped in this battle with Michael Myers since the original attack, <laughs> and that's not a great place to be. No, and uh, I, I guess we're we're just kind of hopping around. A little bit here, but uh, we we do really love this well, movie. I mean, uh, like I could go into a lot of the murders that happen in the film. They're all very crap. They're all crafted very well, but they're also they're not what I walked away that interested in. They're kind of, that's kind of what I walk away from in every slasher film that I end up liking is when they have exciting, you know, thrills and kills. You know, yeah. But this time I walked away with like, oh, this is actually it's saying a lot. Um, I also think it's saying a lot about like how much of our being is predetermined by our upbringing. There's actually a fixation on past in this. Um, we see it a few times. Uh, we, we see, uh, Toby Huss, his character is constantly bringing up, uh, Allison's boyfriend's parents and how his, her boyfriend might've ended up like the parents, which he seems to have a negative opinion on <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he brings it up several times, and it seems like a weird note, but I think it's it's going for something about you know how much of our own lives are sh- are shaped by the forces out of our control, and how much of them are well intentioned from parents, you know, mm-hmm. like where we end up in places based on actions made by people fucking twenty years before we even exist, and that's a it's a difficult thing to wrestle with. Like, I actually, I feel really close, I feel a really close association with this film and Annihilation, which might sound weird. I don't know about the parents thing in terms of connection, but in terms of, like, the space they occupy and analyzing their characters and, like, literally breaking them down at certain points, uh, I, I can get that. Well, I, I think there's a thing in Annihilation about, like, are we predetermined to annihilate ourselves? <laughs> and that's kind of a thing in it. And this kind of has, are we predetermined to live certain lives? And I think that, it, it, again, it gets interesting with, uh, there's a there's a scene where when shit hits the fan, Michael Myers is definitely back and he's definitely killing people. Uh, Laurie calls 
Allison on the phone and is giving her instructions on what to do. And she says, do as I say, which is a very explicit callback to the original film, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's not just a callback. It might be more than just a callback. Because that was Lori... Lori's response when she was originally attacked by Michael Myers, that was her instinctual response back then, right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean that she was just destined to end up this way if a tragedy befell her? Like, was this destined in a way because of her makeup? She's destined to respond these ways to tragedy. And again, like, she might have responded, like, if, if that tragedy hadn't happened to her, she had her shit together as a teenager... And she kind of walled herself off from her friends a little bit, you know. Would she have ended up not that dissimilar if she hadn't had this tragedy? I'm not saying like a gun nut living in the woods, but she might be just as closed off in in a different type of prison. I think they've turned Laurie into a very interesting character in this film. And I think it's so much more than just her being like a triumphant final girl so rarely are women characters allowed to be like fucked up in some way you know like damaged or like that they have problems that they just have to live with that like they can't really fix and they make decisions that we wouldn't make but they're gonna make them every time you know Mm -hmm. it uh it reminds me of of the the sarah connor a lot which is i think there's a clear inspiration yeah, there's in definitely terms a connection. Of that. Uh, and I think a lot of people kind of cherish Sarah Connor as like a, a badass action hero, and she is, mm-hmm. but you know, she kind of fucked up John Connor. Yeah, she did. Also. And that that's a that's very obviously a point of that of Terminator 2 as well. And kind what? of Terminator 3 Terminator 3 is its own fucking bag. But Terminator like Terminator 3 is really interesting because it shows we get a glimpse at what would have happened to John Connor had the apocalypse not happened. <laughs> and he's a fucking homeless person. Yeah. And I don't think that's a terrible idea. Um, I, I, that movie's got issues apart from that. The problem and, is uh, the movie has to be a Terminator film at the end of the day. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's lit like a fucking sitcom, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, but... Yeah. I don't uh, like and I, I think Terminator that... Um, Fuck the Terminator film. <laughs> I'm so done with Terminator. Um, and because again, at the end of the day, you you do get um all three generations of women able to finally overcome Michael Myers for now, and uh, effectively be victorious. But they're not. It's not a clear cut win. It's it's not. It doesn't solve all their problems. It's not. Like, all right, we're done with this, and we can never return to this story. It doesn't matter about that. What matters is that they survived, but there, there's more to life than just surviving Michael Myers. They, they've got a whole other set of problems. There's, well, and say, there's stuff to deal with still. You know, they aren't just victors. They're survivors, you know? That's more of where – they're not victors. They didn't really win anything. Oh yeah, because everyone else dies. <laughs> everyone else dies, but they're but now they they're left with yeah. damage. And again, I think there's something about Laurie somewhat being responsible for it that I think the film knows. There's a scene in it, and I just I I I, I gotta bounce off you because I don't know what to totally make of it. But uh, mm-hmm. Allison is brought close to Laurie's house, and Michael Myers breaks out and kills Doctor Sartain by smashing his skull like a pumpkin. Oh yeah, that. Uh... <laughs> 
That was a lot. <laughs> we should also mention Dr. Sartain a little bit before that is talking about the nature of evil and Michael Myers and like what drives him. Um, and he says something like unheard marching orders printed on his very being, which that to me is a very clear call out of the Rob Zombie films. You know, I could see that one. I, like I, that's, that one makes sense. It just seems like anything Dr. Sartain says is like a call out of those movies. Allison is running through. She gets away. She's running through the woods. Michael isn't chasing her, by the way. <laughs> Michael goes. To, Michael kills cops and then goes to the house. And she stumbles upon Lori's shooting range. Do you remember the scene? Yeah. And she kind of has a moment where, like, all oh, there's like all these fucked up, you know, dummies that have been shot, and she has like a little freak out. Like she, like she's kind of like breaking down, and like you know. What is that? What is that? What are they trying to say with that scene? Because it's there for a reason. Why? Why Alice is freaking out? Well, no, no. But why? Like why she stumbles upon that? Yeah. Why does she stumble? Why even include that? Because nothing is gained or lost by it that is like very, you know, direct to the plot. Plot, no. But I, I think what they're going for there, because uh, I, I didn't actually think twice about that scene, but I think you're on something where Allison has to. Because okay, we gotta we gotta trace it back a little bit here. Sorry about this, but Allison is the one who's closest to her grandmother Lori. Everyone else kind of like shuns her away until the real like Michael Myers murder spree kicks off, right? And then everyone's kind of scrambling to stick together. But Allison's the one who's always been closest to her because she knows that she knows why people don't like her and why she doesn't get along with people. But she it's her grandmother and she wants to be close to her. There's this great shot where. Uh, Lori's standing out uh, next to a highway and cars are passing by and Allison's the only one that goes to join her as they stare off like with the passing car lights going by. It's a beautiful shot and I think perfectly symbolizes the relationship she has to Allison uh, in terms of like everyone else is kind of moving on around her and Allison's the only one close to her. Uh, and so by having Allison go through like the literal fields of trauma that Lori has like cultivated over the years. Um, I think she finally gets it in a way that she hadn't before. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if you if, like at the end of the day, maybe need that, but I think it's important to have that well, because even, about... even without that, you, you end up with like that killer finale in the house and everything. I'm not talking about whether that scene's needed or not. I'm just saying that they left it in for a reason. And I, I'm, at, I, I'm trying to divine the reason. I think I think that's generally the idea they're going for. Your idea is pretty good. I like it. Thank you. But I think, I don't know, there's something about, I think, Lori, you know, Lori has almost become an extension of Michael Myers' evil. In a way she didn't intend, you know? Mm-hmm. She inflicts like against I think she's inflicting damage on her family. Um I mean that moment where she shows up after not killing Michael when he's getting transported out of the, the facility, um, and she just starts like downing booze in front of her granddaughter when the granddaughter is on a date. <laughs> you know, and like like that would fuck up your life. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. Like, that would be a moment where you're like, do you remember that time grandma did that? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it would, that would, yeah, no. Brain. 
So then, yeah, then I, I stand by my point. So Allison gets to see the the damage she's inflicted firsthand. Mm. It's the physical representing the metaphorical. Like, it's shorthand that's becoming uh, very... Uh, it's like a revelation for her. Mm. You know? Like, she, she shot up all these mannequins, but really, it's about her, like, damage to her social, like, mm. relationships and, like, family. You know, specifically her daughter. I all right, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Boom. There's just something about like generational trauma in this. You know? Yeah. Which I think is why the, the finale kicks so much ass. I think what I'm really saying is we never know our parents. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that's a good way of looking at it, yeah. Yeah. Yep. They're just these beings that we'll never fully comprehend. <laughs> Uh, oh well. At least no one ever tried to kill anyone in my family that I know of. Yeah, I was about to say, like, well, you never know. You never know. Because I've heard stories about my grandparents. The odds are very high. (laughs) (laughs) My great-grandfather took a doctor hostage. Oh. Do you want to elaborate on that? Uh, my, My grandfather was sick, and I guess my grandfather didn't get sick quick. I mean, didn't get better quick enough, so my grandfather, my great-grandfather took a shotgun and, like, took a doctor hostage and made him sit by my grandfather until he got better. Okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's obvious. This whole movie's really well-directed. Uh, I like the look of it a lot. It brought back uh, that kind of fall atmosphere mm-hmm. that uh, I, I wish was captured more eloquently in a lot of the other films. We should mention think- that Carpenter's back for the score. Oh, and it's so good. <laughs> Uh, he did it with his with his band that he travels with, right? Including with his, his son, son and a member of his band. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's it's like many things in this film. It's a really great update of previous stuff that worked, and some like harder instrumental stuff that sounds like uh, a little not 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 as electronic, but a little more bass heavy. It reminded me of how misused the score was in the Rob Zombie films, which is odd. Uh, I, I I didn't think it was used well there in either film. I'm a fan of the second one, like I said, but mm. nah. Yeah, I think they. I don't think they did did it right. Yeah. Um, it's like those needed to not be Halloween movies. Mm. Let me just say, I like that the only substantial damage we see Michael take is that his hand gets blown off. Because that's one where in a sequel you could just put a glove on his hand and just not explain it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Loomis showing up with burn marks, but they never bothered to explain how he lived. Yeah. <laughs> God, I um, Donald Pleasance. You know what I'm thinking? If they do a sequel to this. How is Dr. Sartain treating the other patients? Oh, yeah. okay. I mean, there's a door open. Yeah. Because I've been thinking about that, too. Uh, well, I guess we don't really need to talk about the finale. Uh, it's well-directed, well well-acted, well, 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 well it's everything. It's very good. Uh, you know, if you've seen it, you know what's good about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, but again, I just want to point out that, like, Lori literally has so much home defense that, like, it might as well be fucking Fort Knox. Yeah. And, like, Goldfinger couldn't even get into that fucking place. <laughs> And I still had people in that theater being like, why do people make stupid decisions? Yeah, like, what are you even fucking like, talking what? about? You can't give these people enough. <laughs> so, 
Just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Oh, and the Judy Greer moment brought the house down. Yeah, everyone loves that scene. Yeah, that's the, the shit right there. Right, and Laurie is also in the shadows like Michael Myers was. Yeah. So, uh, it's it's good. Um, but again, I think it's not, like, triumphant. You know? Uh, it, it, it almost is, but the, it would... It's revealed that like it, it kind of never was. Like if you're watching the movie, and especially the final moment, real really brings it home that like it it it's not the victory that like uh it's not an action movie victory. Like there's yeah. still shit to deal with. They survived at the end of the day. That's it. All I'm saying is if they end a Star Wars film like this, people are gonna be pissed. <laughs> I can't imagine what you're talking about. <laughs> If you have to do more than two minutes of thinking about the ending of a film, people fucking freak out. <laughs> That's really what what it came down to at the end of this. People can't Which... shut their own thoughts because mm. we're terrified of the evil within. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, it was like we weren't going to talk about that much of the finale, but now I got to bring it up. Like um, when Michael gets trapped in the basement as the house is burning down, and Lori's burning down the prison that she built from the ground up. Like, get it. It's yeah. metaphorical, made did you, literal. Did you get it? Yeah, um, and apparently people didn't fucking get that, so... <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then Michael Myers is gone. It doesn't matter if he's literally gone. It's that he's still with them. Yeah. I think he's the, always going to be with them. That's the, the point of the ending. Yeah, and also, you know, it's the, thing, it's the same thing as the first one, where you can't kill an idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Because that's what he is, so... Yeah. I don't know, people just, people baffle the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. It comes down to, I think, people not wanting to engage, but also not having a reason to. We don't, we don't put that much, like, support in, like, funding the arts, educations, and shit. Uh, I guess know? we don't treat art like art. And we treat it like fast food. I mean, seriously, because, like, it's so weird uh, around... Yeah, like, it's, fast food's calculated to just hit all the right taste buds. Yeah, that's why I like it, but, you know, it's different. <laughs> it's just, yeah. um, but there's so many times I've heard, like, like people say, like, you know, I'm not there to watch art. I'm there to watch a movie. And it's like, what do you – oh, my you God. <laughs> yeah, like, how <laughs> does this, like, happen? And it, it's it, – I don't want to put the blame on, like, like people because I think it's it's a mixed bag of a, well, I of think a it's problem. In how we teach people about anything – because, you know, in – in society, we kind of have to tell people, like, we have to give people, like, yes or no answers to things at some point, just to get through the goddamn day. <laughs> yeah. And because, trust me, I mean, I've had, there's a lot of ambiguity in life that I have a very difficult time dealing with. <laughs> and I get that maybe we don't want to inflict that on a mass populace, but <laughs> uh, also, I mean, I think about all the times when, like, I look back, because I've been going through, like, all my old school shit. And I just remember, like, being in class and, like, it being so frustrating to, like, try and figure out what the right answer was to questions. And then, like, realizing, like, it's not about finding the right answer. <laughs> it's about finding an answer. And I think we do a bad job teaching people that in general. Now, apply it to something we don't even treat as something that should be viewed critically. Um... It, it just, it gets exponentially worse. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. 
don't know. You know I, I hope we fix it. I'm I'm optimistic somehow. I think we're starting to see a shift. Um, will it be quick enough? Who knows? <laughs> but I don't know. It's you see. It seems like everyday things are getting a little better. It's just that so far we've had no one willing to do anything. <laughs> That's been the big thing for a while. Yeah. But you meet so many boring people in life that just don't like. They just don't want to. I don't want to say boring because I get it. Some people have more going on in their lives. I get it. But then maybe don't feel like you're good enough to talk about something that you know nothing about. I don't know. <laughs> There's a reason I don't talk about music on this show. <laughs> I don't fucking understand music. Like, I just don't have enough understanding of music as an art. Yeah, I I like what I like. I, I cannot get that into to genres or artists apart from like a handful and even then i know i'm like not as well informed as other people so that, I, I gotta i gotta stay in my lane you can play a recording of an instrument and there's like a good to fair chance i wouldn't be able to tell you what instrument was playing <laughs> <laughs> it's a bass guitar uh matt that's the piano <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a that's an oboe <laughs> <laughs> it's a didgeridoo um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't get what's going on. And I hope that's, that's wrong. I have zero faith that things can matter. <laughs> I just, you know what? It's not even that. It's just that so many people are so loud that it becomes frustrating, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I just want everyone to be like, let's just move on. <laughs> I moved on from Man of Steel eventually. <laughs> Just fucking, I just don't, I don't get it. It's all, it's all, it's all about how we consume things. It's all bad. Everything's bad. <laughs> there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Yep. That's my, that's my Did tweet. Did you come up with that yourself? <laughs> Saw it on a Sonic the Hedgehog meme. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the worst ways to learn. <laughs> well, John Carpenter likes Sonic the Hedgehog. Hey, yo. Yeah. He should have done the movie. Oh, God, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I'm not even talking Carpenter in his prime. I'm talking Carpenter now. Oh, I know. Me too. <laughs> He'll do the score. God damn, I hope someone has at least reached out to him to do a movie. On the press tour for this, he said he thinks he has one more script left in him, and I hope that means he wants to direct at least one more time. He was always talking about how he wants to do a Western. He was, but on this press junket run too. Um, always, almost always with Jason Blum too. I, I, I hope they're close, or they're just trying to keep an eye on him. I don't know. Or he's just uh, bullying, trying to bully Jason Blum, <laughs> <laughs> which I could totally see happening. Um, but he was saying that you know he he would like to do a western if he made another movie, but he also kind of fell out of love with the idea. Like not that he's against it. If someone offered it, I'm sure something could happen hypothetically, but. It sounded like he was he he was less interested than before, which is which is too bad, because mm -hmm. I know he always vampires is like the closest literal western you get, and that's like not great. Jason Blum, you fuck! This movie made over two hundred fifty million dollars. <laughs> Give like ten million to John Carpenter to do whatever the fuck he wants. Seriously, there's no reason why he shouldn't. This costs ten million dollars, and it looks good. Just get just. Throw him some money. Just let him make something. 
This looks better than Bright, and Bright cost $90 million. Yeah, but that's because David Ayer's a stooge. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not great. I've heard people blame Netflix for the look of that movie. Motherfuckers. I've seen literally look. anything made by David Ayer. <laughs> There's a reason why Suicide Squad is like the worst superhero movie ever. There's a reason why I vetoed Suicide Squad. <laughs> upcoming retrospective. <laughs> I just can't look at that goddamn thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll never watch that movie again. But yeah, no, give John Carpenter, like, a budget. Five to ten million dollars. He could do something. It'll just, make just... its money back just because it'll be the return of John Carpenter. Yeah. Like, if you just hype it around that, the movie could suck. It'll still make its money back. Oh, yeah. And to be honest, there's probably a good chance it'll not be great. Probably... But it'll, it'll be John Carpenter still. The ward wasn't the best, but hey. I, I still haven't seen it. You know what? I want to rewatch it. Because you know what? Like like I said, Cigarette Burns is, is a Masters of Horror short was pretty good. I've been meaning to, to, to watch that. And I meant to watch it before we did this final retrospective so I could say a piece on it. And I didn't. So I apologize. I think the thing I've learned, especially with like David Lynch coming back, I've learned to like keep in mind the weirdness of the directors I love. <laughs> <laughs> like the pitfalls they all kind of have, you know. Uh, David Lynch has no pitfalls. Also, happy birthday because it was his birthday like two days before recording this. Yeah, David A. Hey. But you know, like David Lynch has like gimmicks that, like when I watched him when I was younger, I kind of just forgave. Or like I just, you know, I just went like, oh, okay. You know that you don't question, you don't think about too much. That like, yeah, we're kind of trained as we get older to respond to those things, which I think is a mistake. <laughs> And to me, I got to be like, hey, look, you know, John Carpenter films have always had like a weird structure to them. So if he ever makes another one, I have to keep that in mind. <laughs> Just let him and Kurt Russell team up again. Oh, uh, Two needs a director. Zol oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you know what? Even if he teamed, if he teamed up with Wyatt Russell, if Kurt was like, hey, you know, like, I'm not really down for this story. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of busy. But my boy is is an actor now. And did you ever see Overlord? I did. It's a pretty good movie. It was pretty good. Wyatt, Rus Wyatt Russell's very good in it. It felt like a John Carpenter film. I Kind of, kind of. If, it, if you take out the competent action. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not, that's, I'm, I really don't even mean that as a diss. That's what I kind of love about John Carpenter. <laughs> if you remove the action and, like, the suspense, some suspense, because John Carpenter's always been decent with suspense. Um, it feels like a John Carpenter film in its setup. On paper, it's John Carpenter. It's not, it doesn't look like a Carpenter film, though. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I can get behind I'm that. I'm just saying, that seems like a story John Carpenter would tell. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know what? I got it, I got it. Netflix, let him make Shadow Company. Yeah! Shadow Company would have been awesome. Just fucking do it, you cowards. Do it. Everyone hates the the US now. You can you can tell stories that indict the American military now. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. He's waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out the wall! Get inside! in the boogeyman. He's here! Michael! 
should. Yeah, so that's my piece on that. Uh, Halloween 2018. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention that one last thing uh, for that sequel direction you brought up. Because, like, even back in our Jaws retrospective, I was always kind of surprised that they never made the leap to making, like, Jaws, you know, like multiple <laughs> sharks. Halloween almost kind of does that with Halloween 6. I think they should just go full-blown, like, full-tilt insanity and just have a bunch of Michael Myers now. Well, again, 6 was supposed to have the whole town being in on everything. And they said, no, I'll save it for the sequel. That never happened. <laughs> So now they got to do that, but like for um, what's the asylum place again called? I don't remember. Um, Green Grove. Yeah, that place. They they uh, just have like everyone there. There's that it. or Michael being in your mind, which also seems to be implied by the ending of this film. That would. You know, given how how much I like this one, I I would be on board for something like that because that would be harder to pull off, but possibly more rewarding. Or you can't play it safe for the next one. Or that unmade uh, Halloween four script where suppressing Michael Myers is what brings him back. Yeah, there there are ideas. So I'm places. I'm optimistic. Um, but I'm not. I don't need it to be honest. Oh no, no, neither. This is a great endpoint. This is better than I ever could have hoped for, for, like, a, a final farewell to Laurie Strode. Whatever you do, try to make a film where you won't need to reboot this franchise again. Yeah, because the, the pitch Jason Blum went to John Carpenter with, he was like, hey, to get him on board, he told him, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's make a really good Halloween movie, because this is going to happen without you and I. Mm -hmm. This is going to happen without us, possibly. So let's let's get together. Let's make it the best possible version we could make it. And he was like, "Wow, no one ever put it that to me that way before." Sure, I'll come back. And so he's a producer and uh, the composer for it. Yeah. And so keep that mentality. Don't slack off. Take your time with it. You know. But if this is where, like, if this is the last good one for like another ever, I'm cool with that too because I I don't you don't need another one after this. But Judy, Judy Greer has to come back. No, every, all the survivors have to come back. Because now that you've established that, you, you've established that they, they all have to live with this, now we kind of need to see it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So don't, don't slack off. Make Shadow Company. Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. And you can follow me at Twitter.com as well, at D-E-W-G-O Waffles. Check out the Waffle Press. Like, subscribe. If you didn't like this, like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. Thanks for listening to the Halloween Retrospectives. Don't forget, uh, retweet this on Twitter, on any of the accounts that it's been linked from, on mine or the Waffle Press. Uh, and you'll be put in for a chance to win a copy or a, a digital code for the new Halloween movie. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Can you close the closet door?